Uh, turning your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24. Uh, while you're turning there, I hope you hope you recognize um, one of the things I, I kind of, I guess, meant to point out. Um, that song is essentially a prayer um, for uh, people who are about to hear from God. Uh, the, the reality is you're not hearing from me. We are hearing from God. Um, and that hymn uh, that um, the Gettys and, and Stuart Townend have written um, is a prayer rightfully placed right before the reading and preaching uh, of God's word. Uh, because we're reading an entire chapter, I am not going to ask you to stand. Uh, that's why I had you stand for our New Testament reading a few minutes ago. Uh, but if you would, give your attention uh, to the reading of God's word. Exodus chapter 24. Then he said to Moses, come up to the Lord. You and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel and worship from afar. <clears throat> Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. But the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the blood of the covenant, the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he didn't lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant, Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The grass withers, flowers fade. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. And I'm just going to use that last verse of that hymn as our prayer. So let's pray together. Uh, we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, we'll stand on your promises. By faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. And so we pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak. 
until your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen the news or not, but there's been a development today, just a few little bit ago, um, in uh, the Russia-Ukraine deal. Uh, Putin, Zelensky, the presidents of Russia and Ukraine are actually going to sit down and have dinner together tonight. Um, I don't know exactly what all that means. I don't know what all's going on. Um, but it sounds like the two of them are going to uh, have dinner tonight, which I assume means something. Um, I don't have all those details. Um, and I guess it probably time zone wise, that's probably soon. Um, now, if that were on the news, which it wasn't, I don't know. Uh, I made that up. But if that were on the news, what would your reaction be? I did it on purpose. If that were the, if that was the story of the day, you all, I mean, like, I wish you could have seen your, your faces sort of communicated, huh, that's pretty cool. That sounds hopeful. That sounds like a good thing. Why? Because when you take two enemies and put them at the same dining room table, you and I know that has to mean they're not enemies. We know that when two people eat together, that there's more going on than just eating food together. It actually communicates something to each other and to the watching world around them. It would mean, if we heard that on the news, we would know, even if all we knew was that they were going to eat together, we would know, okay, some agreement has been reached. There's now some sort of peace. There's clearly, it, it means an end to the battle, to the war, to the attack, the invasion, whatever. And, and there's some sort of peace and they've reached some sort of agreement. And, and, and these two nations are now going to be walk together in some form of unity, whatever that might look like. That's this passage. That's Exodus 24. That's exactly what's going on in this chapter of the book of Exodus. Enemies are brought into... People who are at odds are brought to a meal shared together. But this is actually infinitely greater than Putin and Zelensky sitting down at the table together. First, I want you to see the covenant is confirmed by a mediator. Notice how the chapter begins. Uh, God says to Moses, look, you're going to come up and you're going to bring some people with you, except, verse 2, only Moses is going to be able to come all the way up onto Mount Sinai. You do realize the people are still gathered around Mount Sinai. They haven't moved, right? So they Exodus 12, they leave Egypt. Um, they cross the Red Sea. They get, there's six, eight weeks or so, they get to Mount Sinai and they haven't budged. Well, for us, it's been months and months and months and months. For them, it's, you know, what, six, eight chapters of, of Exodus for two or three months of their time. They're still, they're still gathered around Mount Sinai. And God comes and calls Moses, commands Moses and 
these other 74 people, 73 other people, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, 70 elders, and Moses. That's 74. Um, up on the mountain. But he says, verse 2, only you, Moses, are going to come all the way up to the top. Look down again in verse 9. Moses, Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 uh, of the elders of Israel, they go up. And there they meet with God. But only Moses, verse 12, goes all the way to the top. There he's given the tablets of stone. There he's given the law and the commandments. So at the very least, it's the Ten Commandments. It might be the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. Uh, the case laws uh, is the language I think I've been using uh, for the end of chapter 20 through chapter 23. He's getting written down at least the Ten Commandments, maybe the Ten Commandments, and then the, the next um, three plus chapters of, of Exodus, if you will. But why? Why is he getting these and why is he going up to the top of Sinai? Well, because he's going up to serve as the mediator to confirm this covenant. And one of the reasons for that is because of who God is. Did you notice in verse nine? God comes and meets with these 74 people. And while they are standing on the mountain. Dirt, grass, rock. God is standing on sapphire. Sapphire pavement. Pavement that, that looks like this precious stone and, and described as clear as heaven, if you will. There's a, a communication there that God is not like these 74 men. That God is different, that God is holy, that God is special and set apart from them. He's not like them. And he is a king who walks on sapphire concrete, a picture of, of wealth and majesty, of the wealth and majesty of the king and creator of heaven and earth. God is no mere man. God is meeting with his people. Yes, he's meeting with these 74 people. But in the grandeur of his holiness. He's not like them. And because of this gap, because of this creator creature distinction, because of this separation between who God is in his holiness and in his majesty and who these people are, someone has to be appointed as the mediator. Someone has to serve as the go-between. Someone has to, to meet with God on behalf of the people and then meet with the people on behalf of God. In fact, you see this um, perhaps a little more clearly illustrated down in verse 16 and, and 17. There's, um, there's a cloud. Verse 16, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. Oh, meanwhile, it also looked like this big devouring ball of fire. And, and you, you, you know this. This is, this is how God led Israel. It, a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. 
to lead them out of Egypt, to take them to the promised land. That's going to be his his presence, his glory, his otherness, all of these things. As he meets with and leads his people. The glory of God is manifest in this cloud at the top of Mount Sinai. It's the same cloud that led them out of Egypt, the same cloud that takes them to the promised land. In other words, there's this there's this picture that the holy God of heaven and earth has come down to earth to be with, to meet with his people. It's a picture that he's completely other. He's holy, he's perfect, he's he's sinless, he's unlike us. And so, in part, because of God's glory, only Moses is allowed to come up to the top of this mountain, to the pinnacle, and meet there with God, waiting there for six days, and then on the seventh day, to to go the rest of the way and to spend 40 days, 40 nights on this mountain in the presence of God Himself. The confirming this covenant that that God has been unveiling now for several chapters in Exodus, confirming this covenant requires a mediator. But I want to make an observation for you. We're not going to spend tons of time on this. We may bring it back up in a few weeks, and you'll see for obvious reasons. Have you ever noticed that Sinai actually reflects the temple? Think about it. There's a there's a curtain at the bottom of the mountain that keeps the people, the masses, the normal Israelites, the rest of Israel, they weren't allowed up on the mountain. And so at the base of the mountain, there's a a curtain, if you will, that keeps them out. And and some are allowed to go partway up the mountain until they bump into some sort of curtain. There's not really a curtain. You do realize I'm not there's not a curtain. But there's a line over which they're not allowed to cross. There's 74 people go up, but only one is allowed to go all the way in beyond that line. Just like the great high priest is only the only one allowed in the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the tabernacle. The mountain actually portrays for them the tabernacle that they're about to build together. It actually portrays for them... The, the picture of the temple and the worship of God. It prefigures the temple. But confirming this covenant requires a mediator. Now maybe you're thinking, and, and, and I hope at some level you are, but maybe you're thinking to yourself, hold on a second, Jeff. Because the reality is I don't need a mediator. Like I have access to God. I don't have to go through you to get to God. We don't have that sort of earthly human mediator to have access to God. And you'd be right, partly, but you do have a mediator. The reason the curtain separating you from the Holy of Holies is no longer there is because of a mediator, because of the work of someone who has done for you what you cannot, who has served as the go-between between God and man. Lucky for you, that isn't lucky for you. You say that in the Calvinistic way, right? Lucky for you, that's not me. 
that's Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus has come to do and to serve as our mediator. He's the one who paves the way for our access to the Holy of Holies, to the throne room of heaven. He's the one who has accomplished for us the law so that we would have access to the Father. He's the one who says in John 14, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's the one about whom Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one in Hebrews that Hebrews 9 calls the mediator of a new covenant. Do you see the picture? Confirming this covenant requires a mediator. This covenant and this mediator point us to a greater covenant and a greater mediator. They point us to the new covenant and to Christ himself. The covenant is confirmed by a mediator. Second, I want you to see that the covenant is confirmed in blood. You see, there's a, there's a realization we have. When we come face to face with the holiness of God, it should, to a certain extent, serve as a bit of a mirror. Because when we see God's holiness, it should kind of make you go, I'm not like that. I'm unworthy. I'm not holy. I'm not who I'm supposed to be. He's worthy. I'm unworthy. He's holy and I'm a, a sinner. I'm, a rebel, I'm rebellious. I'm disobedient. And so the question becomes, how do we fix that? How is that problem solved? Well, we get it right here in verses 3 to 8 in Exodus 24. God calls Moses and the 70 other 73 people up on the mountain. But before they go, notice what they did. Moses builds an altar. He has some young dudes go get some oxen. It had to be young dudes because ox is big. But ultimately, you see, there's enough blood to sprinkle on the people. So I don't know how many oxen they killed, um, but they slaughter these 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 oxen and they offer burnt offering and peace offering. The burnt offering solves the sin problem. It solves the problem of our rebelliousness, of our rebellion, our cosmic treason, our guilt and shame before a holy and righteous God. The peace offering solves the relationship problem that our sin has caused between us and a holy and righteous God. As sinners, you and I are put on trial before the, the cosmic tribunal and because we're guilty, what our sin deserves is death. The wages of sin is death. What does every sin deserve? The wrath and curse of God. We would do well to learn. That's the children's catechism. We would do well to learn the children's catechism. And we learn these kinds of truths. And so Moses builds an altar recognizing that he has no access to Sinai. He has no access to the presence of God without first the shedding of blood. You know, sometimes I think we 
measure our sin against the wrong standard. We're quick to dismiss each other with, oh, it's not that big a deal. Hey, I'm sorry. That's fine. It's not a big deal. When God's creation rebels against a holy, infinite, perfect, just creator, it is absolutely a big deal. If it was no big deal, we wouldn't need Jesus. It's such a big deal that God had to actually send his son to suffer and bleed and die because of our rebellion. And we tend to think that, well, God's all loving. He's just a big giant granddad in the sky and he's going to love me and it doesn't matter. And he's going to say, pat me on the head and say, oh, it's fine. It's not that big a deal. Our rebellion means we should die. Our rebellion means that we really should be the ones on this altar. These oxen are taking our place. They're taking the place of Israel, of the people of Israel. That's why the altar is at the bottom level here in, in the mountain. It's where the people are. There's, there's sacrifice for the sake of the sins of the people. If we're going to be freed from the, the punishment that our sin deserves, it can only be through the death of something or someone else. It means your death unless God is willing to accept a substitute. And that's the point of these oxen. It really should be us. It really should be the people. But notice how much blood there is. Moses fills basins and he sprinkles some on the altar and he sprinkles. We could have a baptism conversation there. He sprinkles the blood on the people. And I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of Israelites there were. And if by sprinkling the blood on the people, it means every single one of individual people, that's a big basin. That's a lot of blood and a lot of time for going around sprinkling the blood, sprinkling the blood of these oxen on the people. But the point is that those who are covered by the blood of the atoning sacrifice are now set free from their guilt and their shame. Those covered by the blood of the eternal, the eternal, the atoning sacrifice have peace with God. The covenant is confirmed by a mediator is confirmed in blood. And then lastly, the confirmed covenant results in peace. Did you notice verses 9 to 11? There's a meal. There's food. There's eating together. And God is with them. There appears to be a meal that the 74 share. And did you notice in verse 11? God, well, verses 9, 10 and 11. They saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, the pavement of sapphire stone, like the heaven for clearness. And he didn't lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. There's a meal and God didn't destroy them. Why not? Well, it has to be connected to the blood of the sacrifice. It has to be connected to 
the atoning blood shed by these oxen. Now, if you want a picture of peace between people that have no reason to be at peace with one another, a shared meal is that picture. And and here they are, rebellious. They're guilty of cosmic treason. They've shaken their fists at God and said, I don't need you. And, and they get the law. And of course, then the law, part of the point of the law is to say, look how bad you really are. Look at all the ways you've violated God's revealed will. And yet God would sit in a, and have a meal with them, would actually share a meal with these rebellious, sinful people. Why? Because blood was shed to pay their debt. If the presidents of Ukraine and Russia sat down and had a meal together right now, you and I would know something's up. The, the, the argument Paul had with Peter in Galatians was that Peter would eat with Gentiles until some Judaizers showed up from Jerusalem and Peter quit. You had table fellowship with these people until some... Other people showed up and called you out on it, and so you gave up. And Paul's point is, you should be eating with Gentiles. You are one in Christ. That wall is gone. Eating a meal together is the quintessential sign of peace. And so this meal in verses 9 to 11 tells us that the sin problem has been solved, the rebellion has been atoned, and God is now at peace with his people because of the sacrifice of blood. Now you and I know that these animals didn't bring permanent perpetual peace. Because this had to happen over and over and over and over again. Go read Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Read the rest of the Pentateuch. Count all the th- number of animals that died. So that their blood might deal with the sins of the people. But they point towards the one whose blood would be shed once and for all. That's why the book of Hebrews makes such a big deal about Jesus' blood being better than the blood of bulls and goats and other animals. We don't sprinkle blood. You're not being sprinkled with blood because the blood of Jesus is sufficient. The covenant is confirmed through a mediator, confirmed in blood, and this confirmed covenant leads to peace. And we find that the blood of the new covenant in Christ has brokered permanent peace between God and His enemies so that those who look to Christ as their mediator, as their representative before God, as their go-between, who trust in Him alone for their salvation, have peace with God. Let me make just four sort of quick applications. The first is a homework assignment. You're not allowed to do it now. You have to do it this afternoon. Uh, You get a homework assignment. Nothing like going to church and getting a homework assignment. Here's your homework assignment. I want you this afternoon to take your bulletin 
and read Exodus 24 with your bulletin in your hand. Because you'll notice the pattern is the same. Why did Moses and the people go up? Because God called them to. Where did they get? When once called to go meet with God, how did they get there? Well, it involved blood and forgiveness first. And ultimately, they hear from his word and ultimately they share a fellowship meal together. I hope you notice that's actually the pattern of our worship today. God initiates, God calls, God, we come through the the blood and sacrifice the redeemer, Jesus. We come to hear his word. We come to have a meal together. Exodus 24 actually gives us a pattern for worship. Second application. I, I hope you realize that at some level you are actually currently on a mountain. Okay, it's 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 Athens. I mean, I realize the mountains aren't that far away. I mean, right? Now, I mean, right now you are on a mountain, not a not a topographical mountain. It doesn't show up on a topo map. I mean, you can't you know find it geographically. You can't you know hit the terrain button on Google Maps and find our church building on the top of some hill. I mean. Spiritually speaking, you and I are actually on a mountain. That's exactly what Hebrews 12 tells us. We've come to a mountain, not the mountain of law, not the mountain of shaking and noise and and all of that. But in Hebrews 12, we read verses in verse 18 right after. Well, no, that was early for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, the sound of a trumpet, and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. He's talking about Sinai here. For they could not endure the order that was given to them. Even if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight of Moses. Um, that sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What we're doing when we gather for worship is actually meeting with the saints in heaven on that mountain at Mount Sinai. We're spiritually meeting with God and the saints throughout eternity. We're joining in a worship service in the heavenly Jerusalem. A third application. I want you to notice that in Exodus 24, salvation is all of God's grace. God initiate literally everything in here is at God's initiation. God calls them. He calls them to worship. Moses then responds with sacrifice. God then accepts that sacrifice and meets with his people. Salvation, even in the Old Testament, is all of God's grace. But that doesn't mean we don't, double negative, stay with me. That doesn't mean we don't have a commitment to make. 
Because our response of faith should be verse 3. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Our response of faith should be verse 7. Behold, um, verse 7, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. Yes, salvation is all of God's grace. But that salvation calls us to desire obedience. To walk in his ways as he walks with us, which we sang just a few minutes ago. And then lastly, what's the result of the sacrifice of Christ? What does the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus accomplish for us? Peace with God. Forgiveness of our sin. The covenant confirmed by Jesus the mediator. It's confirmed in his blood. Our sin is forgiven and we have peace with him. That's why we have this table set in front of us this morning. We literally are going to, well, we spiritually are going to slide our knees under the table with Jesus. We eat with one another because we have peace with one another through Christ. We eat with Jesus because we have peace with God through Christ. This meal is a fellowship meal. It's a fellowship meal of peace between those who were once at odds with each other, who once were enemies, who now have peace because we're covered by the blood of the atoning sacrificial mediator. Confirming the covenant requires a mediator. It involves the blood of an atoning sacrifice and results in peace. If you're trusting in Jesus, that's you. That's your standing. That's your hope. That's your expectation. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you that there is a forgiveness found in Christ and found in him alone. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your faithfulness uh, to uh, to live a holy and righteous, obedient life, uh, fulfilling the, the works of the law in our behalf, on our behalf, and yet suffering and bleeding and dying so that that's new covenant, uh, which is set before us. So this new covenant would be sealed in your blood. Would you use this word and this meal to grow in us a desire to walk in newness of life. Through Christ we pray. Amen.